the murder of George Floyd, it has really opened my eyes to that in Iceland, the realities of being a person of color who doesn't speak the language, and especially for women. You know, it's a world I could not have imagined uh, without the advent of uh, like activism on social media. This is Einstein Manuel Stefansson. He's an Icelandic Angolan musician who lives in Reykjavik, a long way from the crime scene in Minneapolis, where George Floyd, an Afro-American man, was killed by a white police officer in May 2020. Still, Einstein was affected, like citizens elsewhere in the Nordic countries and many other places in the world. It was hard to ignore this tragic event, the loss of an innocent life that helped fuel the Black Lives Matter movement. Growing from its roots in the USA, Black Lives Matter has become a widespread social and political movement, sparking protests and social media campaigns in support of minority groups all over the world. The movement calls attention to the racism, discrimination and inequality that Black people experience every day. Problems that must be addressed according to the UN Sustainable Development Goal on reducing inequality between people. So where will the future fight for Black people's rights take place? Will it remain global? And what would that mean for Black people? These are some of the questions that we'll be asking in this episode. And we'll investigate how Black Lives Matter has triggered action against racism in places as far away as the Nordic countries, a region traditionally seen as being at the forefront in the fight against inequality and discrimination, but in reality still has its own battles to fight. I'm Afton Halloran, and you're listening to the Nordic Talks podcast. First of all, color does exist. And secondly, police brutality also uh, exists, or police violence uh, exists here. This is the voice of Nontokoso Shabalala. She's a South African multidisciplinary artist living in Gothenburg, Sweden. She also believes that the murder of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement has had a global impact. What it has definitely done is um, made me realize, uh, first of all, that it's not just like an American uh, conversation and an American uh, issue. And to be... Uh, like to, to, to observe a bit more wherever you go, like what this relationship is with police and black people. And um, why is it that like, you know, authority can have so much power um, over people and also people's lives. So what I found is like specifically with uh, being here in Sweden, it's just like, wow, this happens. And as much as I am a South African uh, who is literally like here on a visa that could be taken away at any point if I, you know, step out of line, but I'm human. And uh, these matter, like the, the stories and how people get treated and, um, and justice, you know, like um, what's the experience of that? And also how would, not necessarily how would I feel if it happened to me type of thing, but 
it matters. It matters to fight for one another. Um, you may not know the entire story of what uh, happens with uh, with people and what the relationship is, but if you recognize, obviously, a certain uh, a certain type of violence, like I believe that it's our responsibility um, to step in and do whatever we can. So, from whatever field um, that different people are operating in, like it's it's a space to talk about it. It's a space to um, to engage and to yeah to call out that. It ain't right just because you're wearing that very cool looking uniform that makes you look all strong, but like it ain't right. Um, so I think that it's um, on my end, it's a responsibility for um, myself to people in general um, and the safety of people. In a little while, we'll hear about how Nontokozo has used her artistry to facilitate a discussion about discrimination in Sweden. But first, let's meet Andreas Robinson from Canada. Racism is a part of everything. When we talk about the systems or the structures, like a lot of these things that, you know, that we talk about institutionally, it date back, you know, over the last couple hundred years. Andreas is a social entrepreneur on a mission to empower youth. He's brought together with Einstein from Iceland and Notokoso from Sweden in this online Nordic Talks event organized by the Harbourfront Centre in Toronto. The talk is a part of Nordic Bridges 2022, a year-long initiative fostering cultural exchange between the Nordic region and Canada. Andreas calls attention to hidden racism. It's not like, oh, that's that's an act of racism. You called me black or, you know, you discredited me. It's, you know, the, the aggressions. You're choosing not to talk to me or you're only asking me questions that paint me in a certain way. Um, how you engage with me or if you do at all. Um, and so I think as we discussed, is it really is, for me, I think the piece in terms of, you know, whether it's Black youth or it's people who aren't even of African descent, it's being able to normalize and have these conversations in public. One of the ways to speak about structural racism, civil rights, and Black identity is through thought-provoking art. And that's exactly what Nantokozo created in Gothenburg. This was like one of those opportunities where I said, okay, cool, let's, let's, let's see. How can we talk about this problem from the Swedish uh, context? And I spent a couple of days uh, in this uh, park called Brunsparken and observed the relationship between uh, brown people and uh, the police. And there was always this like weird tension, just just weird vibes. Um, and it, 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 it made me look more into kind of uh, uh, the relationship between police and uh, immigrants within, um, within Gothenburg specifically and also Sweden. And so Nontokoso decided to create a project that highlights the racism, racial profiling, and police brutality that young Black people experience in Sweden. She made a t-shirt. But not just any t-shirt. The text across the shirt read, I saw a video of a nine-year-old brown boy being assaulted by security guards in Malmö. Who's next? But it didn't stop there. She produced dozens more t-shirts featuring examples of discrimination. Nontokozo and a group of activists then put on the t-shirts and stood silently in a park, watching as passersby stopped to read the t-shirts. We stood like in the in the park and we could see different people interacting with, uh, with the t-shirts, like reading them and others uh, kind of saying, yeah, this what happened to me or um, where did this happen or, you know, just different questions. And to be able to kind of um, do it in, in that way also 
highlighting who the perpetrator is and who the victim is. While these problems might not be high on political agendas in the Nordics, the issue has been much more present in North America for decades. Each February in the United States and Canada, schools, museums, and other cultural institutions acknowledge the history of Afro-American people during Black History Month. It originated in the U.S. in the 1970s and received official recognition from the Canadian government in 1995. When we think about one part, African history or Black history is world history, human history, right? We're the original people, the first people with thousands of years of history. So, um, you know, I think that's one thing where we have to have that bigger, that larger conversation where absolutely we, we talk about it and learn about it and hear about it 365 because it's a part of the history. Just as, a, just as you know, this as much as a part of the current narrative of what's going on in the, in the countries around the world. It is super important for our youth to be able to get access to stories, um, to be able to get access to unique opportunities that are specifically designed in centering our voices, our narratives, and our lived experiences. Black History Month is also observed in Ireland and the UK. But what about elsewhere in the world? Let's hear from Unstein, who has an Icelandic father and an Angolan mother. We don't really have Black History Month in Iceland. My first uh, notion of Black History Month is go. Well, I was in America once in February and I was having a concert in Boston and I went to a sneaker store and bought Black History Month sneakers. Uh, so yeah, that for me, that was my first notion of it. It was, of course, commodified. But uh, I think uh, it also has lots of benefits for black people maybe outside uh, of the United States or America, just the, the notion of it. And I can name two examples through movies. Uh, I was watching, for example, uh, Black Panther, the Black Panther. You know, it's a huge celebration of African culture, and it's a fantastic film, I think. And it was such a f- uh, fun watching it. I watched it with my mother last Christmas. Uh, and another film uh, is The Color Purple. When I watched that with my mother, I was a kid. She said uh, she was crying all of a sudden. It's quite scary to see your parents cry. And then I asked her, why are you crying? And she said, this is the story of our people. And I just found it a very like far out statement. How can people like on the other side of the ocean be connected to us? And it took me years to realize uh, what she was talking about, you know, the oppression and the struggles. And, uh, you know, we are, it's, it's, there are very similar things going on, of course, in Europe, even though they're not as much in the media. But I think a film like that would not have been shown in Iceland and uh, like all the way in Iceland without Black History Month. So I think we have both sides. We have the, the social you know, awareness element and also the, the commodification side. And uh, we also need that to get you know, great art pieces like the Black Panther happening. Black History Month has inspired Nontokozo. The funny thing is at this exact moment, um, I'm busy with... Uh, pop-up exhibition about Black History Month. And I had been thinking about it. I'm like, I wonder if like it's the same sort of, it has the same hype as it does in the US, um, here in specifically Angered, where I work in Gothenburg. And I ended up, you know, instead of just having artworks up and celebrating Black uh, History Month, I asked questions. What does it mean to you? And it was quite interesting to find how different people 
had different responses and it wasn't like something that was very specific, which I think that's what also the month is. It's a, uh, uh, it's complex, it's big, it's history, it's present, it's future. It's a lot of different things. And so um, I find I find that specific journey interesting. But I do think that um, as a, uh, a month and um, the way that it exists at the moment, it's a great sort of pause in time for all of us uh, to reflect. And as somebody who found lots of information during Black History Month um, about Afrofuturism, about all sorts of things, different authors and stuff like that, uh, and it was specifically during Black History Month, uh, that was that was uh, useful for me. And also, I think it's like great to have all of this information. Widespread use of social media has helped to spread the word about Black people's rights and Black identity. What happens on one side of the globe often has a ripple effect in other parts of the world. Here's Einstein. It makes the local become global in a way. And I also think the same uh, uh, applies to television series. We have now the chance to make TV series that are for very specific groups, but through the advent of internet and digital you know, mediums, there are maybe loads of people on the other side of the world who watch a Korean drama because it's about their specific group or, you know, the, the and a TV show like Atlanta. Very local in a way, but it has, you know, it has uh, blown up for the whole world and it is very relatable for black people everywhere. Notokoso agrees with Einstein. I definitely think that, like, um, in the sort of Swedish context, um, everything feels a little bit, like local um because it's a it's a certain type of culture and it's a certain way of doing things um but there's a definite need to be uh global because i think whatever it is that's like brewing within the local context can influence the global um and can also like inspire the global you know um so i think that um more than ever global is kind of the 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 the, the direction which I kind of choose to go because I think working with um, the idea of pan, uh, not the idea, but more the ideologies around pan-Africanism, um, it's also tapping into what's happening over there? What's happening over there? Are there any similarities? Is there any uh, connection? Um, and so, yeah, it's like, it's definitely like uh, a, a win-win for both. However, it's definitely moving into the sort of global uh, spectrum. Andreas also understands the power of social media. You know, I feel that, you know, especially in this digital age, you know, now more than ever, we really have the opportunity to be unapologetically yourself or unapologetically authentic to whatever it is. Like an instant said, like, you know, unapologetic and, and being authentic to the genre, you know, being authentic to yourself, being authentic to your country, like to the culture. And I think that really is, again, you know, we also live in a time of fake news and everything else, um, but mass consumption, mass information. And I think that's a, again, more now than ever, you have the opportunity to connect and to exchange value, right? And I think that's really what the big shift is. You know, we're doing this work locally, but we also do it across the country. We do it internationally because the work or the, or the stuff that we're talking about, it connects. COVID has highlighted that everybody 
is a person. Everyone can be connected and um, is also challenged by accessibility. So I think that's that's the huge thing is now we're all in a place where we can see and where we can hear or be heard. So the message of Black people's rights reaches all parts of the globe. But how does it adapt to different regions? Let's hear first from Einstein in Iceland. I think in Scandinavia, we are so focused on, um, you know, presenting this image of ourselves in the world where uh, we are uh, very, you know, open and friendly. Uh, so that when someone is going crazy online with this one random person, one random comment with racism, everyone wants mm-hmm. to pinpoint that person and say, hey, look, look at that person. It's a racist. You know, let's yeah. put the spotlight on that. But by doing that, we're not looking at the systematic, you know, uh, racism or our mm-hmm. own biases, you know, as a society. And I think it speaks a lot to how just I can, I don't can't speak for Sweden, but just how Iceland is um, mm-hmm. taking immigrants. And it's just a horrible system. So mm-hmm. there are all kinds of things like that, uh, that have really, you know, a wheel has been, it has been unveiled. And here's Andreas. People, and, and it, I've been in multiple countries, been in you know, different countries, but people are more concerned with being called or labeled a racist than with being racist or doing racist things. It's, it's more about, uh, you know, what, what am I being seen as? Who's going to, you know, who's going to know? It's not really the accountability. It's I'm sorry I got caught. And that's the big challenge that we're dealing with, whether it's as organizations. So wearing my consultant hat when we're dealing with mayors, um, you know, or people in terms of, I guess, um, counselors. So like the heads of, of, of towns or cities and stuff like that, you know, to dealing with organizations. So like CEOs or the frontline workers. It's about how do we normalize or how do we decolonize, as you said, break apart these issues that are every day. So how can we continue to fight structural racism? How should we discuss Black rights and identity? Let's hear first from Nantakozo. People get away with a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff that they're not supposed to get away with. Um, And I think especially, not even especially, as somebody who works within the cultural sort of art uh, space, um, I see that way too often. And I ask, like, do we realize which context we're in? Do we realize that we're working with certain type of people, with a certain type of history, with a certain type of uh, lived experience? And are we acknowledging that in the work that we do? Are we acknowledging that in how we create um, the programs, how we engage with people? And, um, and, and do we see the pain that they come with and make space for uh, the different conversations that's around that. Um, so I definitely do think that um, just holding people accountable and like asking the right questions and not being afraid to ask those questions, you know, um, because you can only try and get it wrong or not try at all and continue to do wrong. And we don't have time for that. We, we need to build a world where we're all functioning at full potential, yes, limitless potential, and where uh, we're thriving. Um, and so we just need everybody to take, you know, ownership of their nonsense and let's clean up. Let's go. 
I make you better. You make me better. We make each other better and we make the world better. And what does Unsigned think? I think uh, social media is a tricky, like a double-edged sword because, you know, it can inspire loads of activism, but it also inherently the technology wants you to focus on, you know, it amplifies negative views. You know, so I, if I see some racist comment, okay, I'm going to look who that person is. And then Facebook realizes, okay, let's just feed him loads of racist comments, you know. And, you know, there are black people like a French football player, Thierry Henry. He just quit social media because of this amplification, this algorithmic amplification. So, you know, I think it's a double-edged sword. And I think what has done the most for black people in the 20th century is visibility, you know, through artists and musicians, you just imagine Bob Marley or, you know, just anything. And I remember there's a, uh, there was a photo of an Irish family with a, a, uh, in, in their kitchen, you know, very poor family, and they had a photo of JFK on the wall. And Barack Obama did the same thing for loads of people, black people all over the world. It was not only like the JFK and the Irish. So I think visibility is a huge, huge, huge factor. You see the biggest Canadian artists biggest music artists in the world you have uh drake very specific you know background and uh, the weekend also a totally different background then you have justin bieber but uh no th- th- those two it's you know they are sharing they seeing them I, I start to learn about okay this part of africa or this jewish black experiences all kinds of different stuff i i think th- this matters extremely uh, much According to Andreas, it's about daring to speak up and to hold others accountable from the very beginning. So it's kind of the different levels. It's like starts off as a microaggression, you know, kind of small. Then it gets bigger and bigger as you try to hold them accountable. Right. So um, I fully agree with Unstead, right? The visibility piece. And now we uh, again, it's, it's reclaiming our intellectual property and Again, for everyone, those those action steps, it's it's easy, right? Like everybody has power, everybody has privileges, everybody has a platform, and you just have to figure out what yours is. The Black Lives Matter movement has shed light on structural racism, not only in the USA, but also in the Nordics and other places around the world. Globalizing the fight against discrimination has opened new discussions about equality and the civil rights of minorities which is not only necessary for reaching the goal of reducing inequality between people, but actually a condition for reaching all 17 of the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Of course, the more open a society, the easier it is to discuss these issues and have difficult conversations. This means that there are good conditions in the Nordics for normalizing the discussion, as Andreas puts it. But we must share experiences and confront racism head-on locally, as well as globally. Be sure to follow Nordic Talks on Instagram and LinkedIn. You'll get the latest information on upcoming events, new podcast episodes, and much more. I'm Afton Halloran. Thanks for listening.